Hello everybody, I'm Matt Mikuchi and you are listening to Jazz's Travel. Everybody, Jazz is online editor Matt Mikuchi here, welcoming you to a new episode of Jazz is Travel. This is a podcast series that explores jazz and creative music in all four corners of the globe, touching on cross-cultural projects, different music traditions, and much more through conversations with or about groundbreaking, innovative, and visionary artists. Elsa Nielsen, one of the most acclaimed flutists in jazz and creative music in the world today, joins us to talk with us about the first release of our fascinating Atlas of Sounds series, which is inspired by the human connection to locations of the natural world. The first album is a trio recording with John Cowherd and Chris Morrissey, with music originating from Nielsen's visit to the north end of Redwood National Park. We talk about this series, the concepts of time and tempo, her connection with the musical heritage of her native Sweden, and much more, including her work with the Esthesis Quartet, the debut album of which was also recently released. So, without further ado, fire up an audio teeny and listen to the audio waves as they fly through the air. Welcome to Jazz's Travel. Hi Elsa, welcome to Jazz is Travel. Thank you so much for having me, man. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here on a little podcast series. And uh, Elsa, this is the first time we speak. So usually I like to begin with a little icebreaker question. And uh, because we don't often uh, get to talk about, you know, uh, artists who, who, who play the flute, uh, I'd mm-hmm. love to kind of ask you uh, what it is that initially drew you to it. Oh my goodness, that is a good question. Um, I actually started on piano when I was five, and I got really into it, and I got really kind of obsessed with practicing, like I wanted to practice every day. And when I was 12, um, my mother sent me to a wilderness survival sleepaway camp. And I was, like the first year I was there, I didn't have an instrument, and I missed it so much. So the next year I was like, you know what, let me pick something small that I can play in the mountains. And that's why I play flute. (laughs) That's interesting. (laughs) Um, And now I play bass flute and all the giant flutes too. So that backfired. (laughs) But, you know, that's how it started. I I didn't expect that uh, 
<laughs> that to be kind of uh, the the motivation behind it. Uh, obviously, it's an it's a it's a beautiful sound, and uh, so we'll get to kind of maybe talk a little bit more about that uh, as the as we as we uh, continue with our conversation. But I also wanted to know, obviously, you you are originally from from Sweden, and so again, this is a podcast series that's called Jazz is Travel, and and we like to find out about musical heritage of different parts of the world. And I just wanted to ask you how much do you feel you are influenced by your Swedish heritage in your art and in your music? Oh, a lot. I came up playing a lot of Swedish folk music. And one of the things for me specifically with music in general is I find it fascinating how music from certain cultures sound like it feels to be there. So like Swedish music, there's different feelings for music that's for the summer and for the winter. Like there's seasonal music because the seasons are so extreme. And in terms of how I write and how I approach music now, I'm always looking for what moment am I trying to capture? What is the feeling of everything that goes around this music, not just the song itself? Interesting that you're saying that because uh, it seems like in your music, you kind of like to explore also the music of various cultures and countries, like in your debut album, Already There Yet?, you kind of explored the music of, of different places. Mm-hmm. So that's something that you like to do, right? Are you Absolutely. someone who likes to travel a lot too? I am. I love seeing things that I don't understand. Whether it's like a, a new place where I can get super lost and then find my way back. I love that experience. Or just being uh, exposed to new ideas and new ways of viewing the world. That's my favorite part of traveling and my favorite part of making music. Especially, I live in New York now. Like here, there's people from everywhere and leads to this very open way of approaching the world where you can really be ready to experience anything. Obviously, the natural segue would be to get into a discussion of Atlas of Sound, but I'm not going to get there just yet. Go there okay. just yet. Uh, because, first of all, I did want to bring up uh, one of your one of my favorite albums of yours, Dark Is, Light Is, uh, which we talked about the Swedish heritage earlier. That was mm-hmm. kind of a project uh, that, that featured uh, modern arrangements of classic Swedish songs associated with the uh, Festival of Lights mm-hmm. and with electric guitar too. I, I thought that was awesome. That came out in 2020, right? Yes, that's a fun album. I had fun making that. And then, of course, you you mentioned it there. You are you reside in, in New York now. When did you decide to make that move? Um, I've been in New York since 2010. So I lived in Seattle for a couple of years before that. So I moved from Sweden to Seattle when I was 18. And then it was kind of like coming to New York was halfway home. And also, yeah, there's just something about this place that is electric. And I got here. I was like, I'll be here for a couple of years. And now I'm like, I, I don't want to leave. It's amazing. I want to be here. And did that decision to make that move uh, across the Atlantic uh, have something to do with jazz and improvised music? Absolutely. 100%. So t- tell me a little bit about that, actually. How did you get into jazz and improvised music? And when did you uh, kind of discover them? Um, I always improvised. Like I, um, that's how I learned how to play instruments. I wasn't really a studious kid. I was kind of a wild child, um, (laughs) which meant that when I had an instrument in front of me, I would improvise for hours and then be like, maybe I should practice my homework at the end of like just exploring and finding all these new things. I was actually fascinated by South African music in high school. So I wanted to go to South Africa. And I told my mom, I applied to college in South Africa. I told my mom, she's like, maybe go somewhere else first. You're 18 and from Sweden. You haven't seen much. So I took a ruler and just sort of 
saw that Seattle was just as far and looked at colleges there and looked into the grunge scene there, which has some instrumental music and improvised music that is really, really cool. And that's kind of what influenced my decision of going to Seattle first was just the the reckless abandon in the music that was being created there at the time. Speaking of improvisation, uh, this is something that uh, I like to also talk about because uh, different people have different approaches to it. Uh, what does improvisation mean to you? I kind of disappear when I'm really improvising. I feel like I dissolve into the music. The listening that goes on is, you know how like there's there's people in conversations where when they're listening to you, you feel like they're not really listening. They're waiting for their turn to talk. And then there's people who you feel are actually engaged with what you're saying. That's the type of listening. Like I want to be fully engaged with the music in a way where I kind of forget that I'm there. I'm just fully in the music, which means that I'm not reacting to things. I'm responding to things like I want the improvisational state to be a wide open place where I can just be inside. Is that difficult to do? No, it's the easiest thing to do. It's difficult to find space in the world the way it is to hold that open. That's hard to do. But in terms of like when I'm there, it's the easiest thing in the world. Okay, so that's that's really fascinating. And it kind of takes us uh, into finally talking about a, one of your recent projects, Atlas of Sound. Uh, first of all, can you tell me a bit about this, its concept? Because I find it super interesting. Yeah, Atlas of Sound is a long-form exploration into humanity's connection to place. So what I'm doing is I'm going to specific locations. I'm sitting there in silence for hours, and then... When I feel moved to, I improvise and record it. And then I take those recordings, take them back to my little apartment in Brooklyn, and write out every note that I improvised. and use that as source material to build a suite. And the one that was released this year is from the Coast Redwoods of Northern California. And it's really fascinating because the stuff that I wrote there is so different from the stuff that I normally write. Like the stuff that I that I hear in my daily life when I'm composing, it's like there's so much more space in it. The melodic themes are wider than what I normally write. Um, so the whole concept behind the Atlas of Sound experience is to listen to what the world actually sounds like and how we connect to that as a species. And that seems to be something that we don't often do, or at least uh, as you were saying that I realized that maybe I don't do that as often as I should, right? It's uh, just one of those things. Perhaps it's just has something to do with a modern uh, way of life. Yeah, there's there's a narrative that we are separate from the world around us. And that's kind of what I wanted to look at with this project is this idea that either we are the protectors of nature or we are the exploiters of nature but not that we're actually part of the ecosystem. Yeah. Um, which one of the one of the things like during lockdown, I was reading a lot of books about nature because I was stuck in Brooklyn and not leaving my apartment. So I was uh, starved for trees. And um, one of the books I read was Robin Ralph Kilmer's Braiding Sweetgrass. And there's all of this beautiful poetry in there about the human's connection to the ecosystem, as in like, there are plants that have evolved with humanity. It's not like we were plopped into a finished world. We evolved with the world around us. So there are symbiotic relationships with certain species or with all species of plants and animals where we actually fit into the ecosystem. And that's the part that we don't look at or we don't think about because we think that like if we live in a city, 
we are humans and nature is over there. But like, I'm looking at my window in Brooklyn right now and my backyard is a mess and it's going to, like there's some concrete out there that plants are just busting through. Nature is everywhere. We are part of it and I want to build that, that awareness and look at all the, way, all the ways that that strengthens us and the world around us if we can see ourselves as part of the ecosystem. But then there is also something about the sound of the flute too that, that recalls that, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really, there really is. I mean, the flute was one of the first instruments that was created by humans. Like if we're looking at the evolution of sound, if we're looking at the evolution of human music, voice was first, then flutes and drums. Like it's so primal and it's so connected to, it's just so connected to the fundamentals of life, these sounds that we make. The track you are hearing just now is from Coast Redwoods, the first of Elsa Nielsen's Atlas of Sounds series, released on April 22 on Ears and Eyes Records. Lush and melodic, at times subversive, Nielsen's trio recording invites listeners into dense, woody thickets where breezes idle and sounds of footsteps disappear into layers of pine needles. Here is the second part of our conversation with Elsa Nielsen. Speaking about the, the places uh, or the spaces that you chose for this project, the first one of which uh, came out this year, was what was the thought process behind actually choosing uh, them? I mean, it's, a, it's all an improvisation, really. The Redwoods, I've, this is something I've always done. The like, I'll go on a hike and I'll have some sort of musical idea and I'll record it and I'll usually take it home and not do anything with it. So I have hundreds of recordings on my phone from different locations and I'll just like mark where they're from. And honestly, it was the fact that I was so confined and I had the time to go through these recordings and the ones from the Redwoods just really spoke to me. And now that I've started this project, I'm looking at my body of work and I'm looking at all these recordings and being like, there's some, there's some spaces that feel sacred and we as a species have acknowledged them as such, especially in the US, like we have all these uh, national parks 
where it's like, this is untouched land. This is, this is a sacred space. Um, so I've already written a second one for Crater Lake that I don't know if it's going to be the next one I release. But in terms of choosing locations, when I find a place that moves me, I sit and listen. It's more, it's, it's more of that just being open, being open and aware and willing to hear things. So uh, we talked about how these, these uh, works emerge. This, uh, the music actually is inspired and how you record it initially. But then there's then the other process of kind of bringing it into a recording studio and working on the final, final record. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that process as far as this project is concerned? Well, when I was writing it, all of these different themes emerged. That was one of the things that was interesting with these recordings is that they were from a month apart and there was a lot of similar thematic material from both locations, both Redwood locations. And that's what I started using as sort of a leitmotif that's woven into everyone's parts. And from the very first tune, like I knew who I wanted to have on the record. I knew it had to be John Coward. It had to be Chris Morrissey. Like it had to be these musicians because I like, there's a woodenness to their sound and an organic, organic decay in how they are able to get their notes to both hold and fall. Um, that I was just like instantly convinced it had to be these two guys. So I wrote all of their parts with them in mind. Like knowing their strengths, knowing how they sound, knowing how much they've played together, so how open and loose I could make it, and what parts I wanted to have be very concise. And then we did two rehearsals, a gig, and went into the studio, recorded it all in one day um, with no isolation and no headphones. We just set up and played, which was in, we recorded it in April of 2021. So it was like right after people had started getting vaccinated. It was one of the first full days in the studio. I did again after that, which was like just feeling the sound moving in the air together was absolute magic. But there is something also about the the the, the trio format when it's flute, piano and bass, I feel, mm -hmm. because it's not really the most common <laughs> type no. of trio ever, right? It's it's no. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's not. And also, I mean, with the with the bass flute, bass flute and upright bass is one of my favorite combinations because I can get into the range of the bass and I can get into the note decay of the bass. I'm kind of I'm very much into how sound changes as it decays because it goes in all these different directions. And it's one of another one of those ways of listening that we don't often do. We listen to the beginning of the note. We listen to the attack, but we don't listen to how it ends. We move on too quickly uh, i don't want to get too dark but it almost sounds like life itself we try to avoid thinking about the inevitable <laughs> I, don't I don't think that's dark at all i think that it's more that we're like we're missing phases of beauty mm. right you know uh we talked about space and now we talked about decay we talked about sounds but another thing that i read in a statement on this album is that you said that the secret is in the temple and I kind of wanted to ask you, what, what do you mean? What did you mean by that? Well, when you're in the redwoods, time slows down because to me, like these trees are so old, especially if you're in an old growth grove, they've seen generations of humans. They've seen generations of all sorts of creatures just move through. So walking in, like you notice how fast you're moving. So. Again, like it's, it's the same as the decay. That's part of the tempo. If you move too fast, you miss things. So taking the time to really slow down 
that was one of the things that we actually had to do a couple takes of in the studio was the tempos in these pieces are very, very slow, but very specific. So if we go too slow, it doesn't work. And right. we weren't, we didn't have headphones, so there's no click. Mm, right, it was right. just a, like, you, we have to find that balance of slow enough, but still has momentum. And that's kind of, that's the thing of the secrets in the tempo. It's not, it's the, it's the balance. Slow, yeah. yeah, it's it's the sensation of the space that's created when a tempo is slow. Well, uh, all right. So Elsa, uh, before we kind of say goodbye for now, uh, I also wanted to make sure to bring something else up we actually didn't discuss before uh, this conversation okay. or in the emails. Sure. But I know that you've got another uh, project of yours that uh, will be actually, uh, well, actually, um, well, it's the Esthesis Quartet. That's uh, right. I love that band. Right. And and I did want to ask you because I, I realized that also, uh, you know, the, the, the band has released its self-titled debut album on yes. uh, May 27th. So, so I kind of wanted to ask you in closing, just uh, to tell me a little bit about this band and, and this record. Um, so Esthesis Quartet, it's, there's four of us and we live in a time zone each. Again, a COVID project is started as a COVID project and it's evolved way beyond that. Um, we started as a composition support group where we met once a month and just sort of showed each other what we were working on. And it was really fascinating um, because everyone everyone was struggling because lockdown but we were all also being inspired by each other and being becoming excited about making music again just for the sake of making music uh, which was a really healthy way to look at things then and still I think um, so we started sending around tracks uh, free improvised tracks and just multi-tracking on top of that um, and Tina Raymond, the drummer, lives in L.A., and Emma Dayhoff, bass player, is in Chicago. Don Clement, the piano player, is in Denver, and I'm in New York. So we would have these round-robin free jazz improvisations, and then they would come back and be this, like, they would be really, really cool. So in August of last year, we all flew to L.A. and had two gigs, and again, went into the studio and just, like, in six hours, recorded 13 tunes. Um, because there's like, there's an electricity and a momentum in this band that is just really, really fun. And now we got a grant from Chamber Music America to work with Bill Frizzell over the next two years as an artist educator. So they all came out to New York a couple weeks ago and we played some gigs and did two rehearsals with Bill. And yeah, it's a really, really fun project. And we're working on some new concepts that I'm really excited about. I'm excited about them too, just hearing you talk about them, yeah, really. it's so fun. <laughs> Wow, wow, wow. Well, Elsa, it's been fascinating speaking with you. Uh, thanks very much for joining us. Oh, of course. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
music from the Estesis Quartet's recently released debut album plays us out. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Elsa Nielsen and I hope you will join me again next week for more globe-charting conversations on a new episode of Jazz Ace Travel. I encourage you to also check out jazzace.com for more excellent content on jazz and creative music and don't forget that you get even more content when you subscribe, including our subscribers-only Summer 2022 and July 2022 digital issues with features on some of today's most acclaimed jazz musicians. That's all for this week. Till the next time, this is Matt Mikuchi signing off. See you soon. (laughs) 